Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 153 of the Common Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Christian, and I'm joined by our co-host, Adam. What's up, man? It's been a long week, or a couple of weeks. Depends on how your math works. Yeah, I was telling you before the show a little bit about my work week. How's yours been going? Uh, Still putting labels on sauce bottles, man. Still putting labels on sauce bottles. Before we get too far into this episode... I do want to remind everyone that Common Knowledge and all of the podcasts on the Constructed Criticism Network are sponsored by PureMTGO.com. We're also very excited to announce a brand new sponsor for the entire Constructed Criticism Network. Well, if you, like me, have been lost in the wilderness, as it were, trying to find a new place to get your cards from, maybe your LGS is closed down or not finding a good online vendor to work through, whatever the case may be, it might just be time to get back on the grid with our new sponsor over at Game Grid Lehigh. They have one of the more interesting models I've seen. It's a, a game shop that excludes Yu-Gi-Oh! But uh, Magic, Pokemon, board games, they've got stuff for everybody. It, it's well worth a look. Yeah, absolutely. We are uh, very excited to be working with them. There are other ways to support the show as well. You can just like and share this video. And then go ahead and subscribe to the Constructed Cruism YouTube channel. And then you can head over to Patreon to check out ours. With um, all that out of the way, I guess we can kind of move into the what decks we've been playing segment. I know that we talked about it last episode. I've been messing around with the blue tempo deck still um i love you, them so much <laughs> have you made any like interesting developments out of them i am trying way too hard to make something work that probably shouldn't and beyond that i haven't really found any new technology for like the established builds but i'm i'm a sucker for trying to repeat history so i've got a list i'm working on that wants to make land grant into break my brainstorm card in pauper Okay, so like a like a blue-green tempo sort of deck, or is it only playing Land Grant? The list right now, I think, is also playing Nimble Mongoose, because it doesn't die to bolt. What's been working with the list? What hasn't been working? Are you breaking your Brainstorm, at least? Yes. Uh, brainstorm plus Land Grant is hilarious. Draw three, put the, all the lands in my hand back on top, then cast Land Grant, revealing a hand with no lands in it, shuffle everything away, and still have a land drop to make. The reason it works is because of the snow duels from Kaldheim, because you can fetch Rhymewood Falls with it. It's so good. I know it's a tap land, but like being able to fetch a duel is pretty obnoxious. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, when I was really big into like the Ponza ramp deck, one of the big things about Acid Moss is like the fact that you can just go get any color of mana with it it really made pretty much like every color splashable in those decks. It's, and you know, here, like it, it's less about splashing a color, right? More of just like having a guaranteed land drop that's also mana fits. And it lets you sneakily 
trim lens from your deck. Like you can play the the really low curve version of the deck if you're playing like black as a tertiary color or maybe green's your tertiary coloring or splashing just enough green to make land grant and mongoose good because it can also fetch you the forest swamp to turn on snuff out. Yeah, in this deck, are you playing Delver of Secrets? That's another thing that Land Grant does, right? Is it just turns... Right now it is, creature-wise, it is Delver, uh, Delver, Angler, Mongoose, and I think that's it. Other versions I'm looking at is, instead of the black as the secondary color, is red, because Swirling Sandstorm is hilarious. That was always a card for me that whenever it was like really heavily played, I always ended up on the wrong end of it. Either it was in my deck and I wouldn't play to that as an out because it's just like something that you, I tend to forget. And then if it wasn't in my deck, I would just like run into the random like blue red player or red black player that's like playing like all like nausea um, at the time was like pretty big in the format as well as like a, you know, swirling sandstorm. Nobody plays around the five damage sweeper and pauper. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, uh, for myself, I've been playing a lot of mono blue. And it's funny, playing mono blue, just like straight up. Deck's really, really good. I really like, it's a lot different from the blue black or blue red list right now, I feel. Because I feel like those decks are like control decks that can just turn the corner and win like on occasion. Whereas the mono blue deck, it always feels like every step you're taking is towards closing the game out. I like that style of gameplay more. I don't know what it is, but recently like I've had like less patience in games of Magic. Normally, like I'm a really patient guy. Like I can sit and play a game of Magic. If the chess clock didn't exist and there was no timer, I could play like one game of Magic for like three hours. Real commander player at heart there, right? Assuming that I have time with my child, right? <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that, would I? <laughs> yeah. Recently, I've just like lacked patience. So playing a deck like this, right, where I always feel like I'm accomplishing the goal of ending the game. Um, I wouldn't say that I've made any like super big developments on it, though, right? Just pretty much playing any standard list. Sometimes I play like an extra bounce spell past Snap and Vapor Snag. And, you know, sometimes I'll play Delver. Sometimes I won't. Sometimes I'll trim a Fairy Seer for like a Mana Leak or Prohibit or whatever those changes are just so negligible. But I would say that any of the blue tempo decks are like weirdly underrated right now. It yeah, feels it's... weird to say that blue decks are underrated in Popper, but here we are. It's the you know, world we live in. I mean, do you know how underrated blue decks are? They are so underrated. We did an entire episode about why we hate people that play them. <laughs> That's what we're doing right now. So the first thing that I want to complain about, about blue decks over here on the mono green stompy side of things is all they do is draw cards, man. Oh, I love drawing cards though. Yeah, that, that's literally all blue decks do. Draw cards. If only other colors could draw cards. I mean, green never does that, right? Mm-mm. Neither does black. Even colorless draws cards these days. Right. But blue, I would say, definitely doesn't draw all the cards. Although if you're in blue, you're drawing a lot of cards. But it's more over blue selects the cards that it draws. Much blue better. gets to see more cards than anybody else. Absolutely. That's, so, the, that's um, the way I look at it. Being serious about it, right? Like one of the big reasons to play blue decks in Popper today 
is the card preordained. Yeah, actually, a Puffer Format panel member, Alex Olman, he actually, like, today, whenever we were, like, finalizing the draft of the show notes for this, and, like, I knew I wanted to talk about Preordain and how insane I thought that card was, I, like, immediately after deciding that, went to Twitter, and he tweeted how insane Preordain is, and how it probably, like, secretly warps the format around the fairy steps. And pretty much I tend to agree, right? Like, in a format where you don't really have fetches, like Preordain probably is a stronger cantrip than Ponder. Yeah. And Ponder, even that is like a four of in all these blue decks. Yeah, no, just the vast card selection of the blue decks makes it to where you can either go Threat Light or actually not play that many answers in your deck, like either one. And like, it just feels like you have so much more going on, right? So like in some of the blue-black decks where they're playing like four ninjas and like two Gurmag Anglers, and that's their only like real threats versus like some of the blue-red lists I see, right? Like they play like Scred and Bolt, but as for like ways to deal with like bigger stuff, they might only have like four counter spells. There's like not literally always, right? But you just have such a high chance of seeing those counter spells for the late game bombs that your opponent could be playing. You are very rarely caught with the wrong card for the situation in front of you, and that's one of the big reasons why I love blue decks. The problem that I run into a lot of the times when I play mid-range, and it's something that I ran into playing Boros last month a lot, is drawing the wrong half of my deck, and I hate it. You know, that's something that, like, decks that don't play these, like, extremely efficient card selection spells, how they try and circumvent it, is by just drawing a massive amount of cards. That's why Deadly Dispute is so good. Thoughtcast, which is a blue card, but doesn't go in the blue decks. Semantics. That's how those decks go about it. And it does lead to some frustrating moments in games where you've oh, drawn absolutely. your entire deck, but you've also drawn, like, all lands. That's, that's why I like the land grant thing, right? Like, I can cut down on those and then play more spells but still be able to hit on my land drops like it's based in theory from alan comer from way back an eternity ago where he was playing uh he i think they called it miracle grow and it was a deck that was playing like 10 lands as a blue green tempo deck and he was just you know he'd stick aquarian dryad and then cast like land grant gush brainstorm <laughs> my favorite blue green tempo deck it's a blue-green infect in Pauper. The, uh, <laughs> the list we were playing a couple of months ago, um, I was messing around with it with Brad and some of the guys in the uh, Pauper Guild Discord. It was playing like six or seven lands, pretty much. And just like, you know, once you get one or two lands, you can function, but it was That's like playing like everything. land grant. and Yeah. <clears throat> but like that deck was just like jam-packed full of spells that killed your opponent. Well, now I want to try that. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll send you our probably outdated list at this point. We all know I love using old lists of stuff, so I've, I've never done that before, right? Yeah, and then, you know, kind of moving on to our big second reason to play blue. Can't block your creatures, man. They all fly. And even the ones that don't are honorary flyers. What I mean by that, right, is like, I'll attack with a spell starter sprite, but surprise, it's a 2-2 that draws me a card. You could say I have a curious obsession with that kind of an effect. <laughs> I, need a, I need a button, <laughs> like a horn, every time uh, an MTG dad joke comes out. Yes! I need to get on that. We're going to add that to the production budget from uh, <laughs> all of our kind patrons. 
the fact that so many of your creatures fly really makes it difficult for people to interrupt your main game plan, right? Which is oh, to yeah. get a ninja going, right? Like a crew that just very incremental card advantage, right? I'm going to attack. I'm going to ninja back something that either draws a card or counters a spell or scries. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to draw a card. Probably going to use that thing that scries, the fairy seer, or that counter spell to buy myself more time until I remove your creature to keep getting it hits in with ninja. I would say the most annoying parts about playing against the blue decks and also the reason to play the blue decks, or one of the many reasons to play the blue decks, is how efficient the creatures are at never being blocked if you don't want them to be. Yeah. In a vacuum, they are not remotely efficient creatures. They do not do a great job of killing your opponent, but they are really, really good at being consistently good at triggering combat effects. Whether it's a ninja or something that just cares about you consistently attacking with a creature every turn from back in mono blue and standard. You just have all these creatures that can attack with impunity. Whether they're exciting, explosive, efficient, you know, aggressive, it doesn't really matter as long as they get to keep attacking and pushing you a little bit further ahead. Yeah, I, I liked how you put it. That's a, that's a much better way. It's the snowball that's rolling across a flat plane and just yeah. keeps getting bigger. <laughs> yeah, no, and honestly, since you put it as like not necessarily efficient, it's actually like a great segue into what I think our third point is, which is the games take forever, man. If you want to play a lot of Magic, you'll play these base blue fairy decks. I can confirm that. Uh, <laughs> I told y'all, I told uh, the Heezy Discord about it right after it happened when I first picked up the deck again, you know, really started playing Pauper again for the first time in a while. And I played against, I think it was Tron, and they ended up just gaining absurd amounts of life and Stonehorde dignitarying me, and the game took, like opponent was down to their last three or four minutes on the chess clock in game two and we ended up winning a game where we were down like 56 life to eight because mopey creatures still get there sometimes i don't want to talk about how long that game took to win though <laughs> again the game's taking forever is sort of like a like an ingest poke at something that is true which is the fairies decks are really good at buying themselves time it's not a bug, it's a feature. Obviously, there are going to be games that you can't win, but with these decks, those games are few and far between, right? Like, you can keep pushing yourself back further and further to keep trying to play to your outs and give yourself a way to win. It's one of those decks that, like, you are very rarely going to be far and away the best deck in the room. You're not going to get a lot of blowout wins, but you're also not going to get blown out very often. Like, it's always at least fine. Absolutely, and... You know, the different flavors, they do this job to varying degrees as far as, like, how well they push. Like, to me, I would say the blue-black deck is the best one at pushing the game the furthest. Primarily, and I think this is an underrated reason, because of the two bigger creatures, both um, Thorn of the Black Rose yeah. having Death Touch and then Angler blocking everything that doesn't fly. Angler, I think most people, whenever they see it, they view it as like this really good, efficiently costed, like aggressive threat. But like, I yeah. would say in over half of my games, right? Like I'm playing Angler and I'm just having it sit back so my opponent can't hit me with something that doesn't need to be hitting me. Like for every turn two, I've thought scoured and 
whatever, like if I just drop an angler on turn two or three for one mana, you're going to have another game where you just drop it on turn four to block and it just gets you there because it gains you something like 10 life over the course of the game, just sitting there not letting your opponent attack. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, what you just said about uh, gaining life, that's something I view magic and like games in that way, but I find that not everybody does. Where like, if your opponent's not attacking, then whatever you have going on is gaining you life. I was going to say, the thing about these tempo decks in general is each one of them leverages a different resource. They're all wanting to keep taking turns. They want to keep getting another draw step. But like the blue decks, the mono blue really wants to keep pushing the combat phase. It really wants to keep getting attacks in so it can keep getting good ninja hits in. The black deck just wants to keep drawing interaction to be able to stay ahead once it gets there. And then the the red ones, like you're just trying to find the last out you need to close the game out. You're leveraging different things, but at the end of the day, it's the same principle, right? You just, you got to get to the next draw step. Something else I wanted to talk about, I didn't actually have it typed down, but what you were saying kind of reminded me of it, is um, how well these decks leverage game states like the Monarch. It's one of those things, I don't know your opinion on the Monarch, I don't think we've ever talked about it privately, but I think it's pretty undeniable that once it gets introduced, kind of the last two points in conjunction really make it a problem for these blue decks. Not a problem for them, but a problem for the opponent. Yes. Right? Where your creatures are basically all unblockable. Most of them have flying or can like get in off of the back of the creatures that have flying, right? That coupled with the fact that you have so many answers, such good card selection, means that once Monarch gets introduced and these games are going so long, you're accruing much more value than most other decks can off of the Monarch. Some of the more aggressive Monarch-based decks, even like the Boros mid-range, right? Like you might draw like three or four extra cards off of the Monarch. It's not uncommon for you playing these decks though, right? To draw like seven or eight extra cards off of the Monarch. Being on the other side of that during last the last challenge I played, uh, I can confirm that. <laughs> yeah, and again, right, like that's just like one of those things going back to how well these decks accrue value, yes. right? Is the second card that you draw off the Monarch is worth like twice as much as the first card yeah. a lot of times in these decks. It's like after you make that initial mana investment, every time you draw one, you're just paying yourself back. So much. It's an absurd amount of value. The best way I can describe it is you're not only good at keeping the Monarch once you get it, because you play all this efficient interaction, you play bounce spells, you play removal, but you're also just equally good at taking it back because it makes Monarch in the decks that are built around it look horrible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? Because, like, and granted, that's, like, not entirely, like, always true. Like, some of the Boros builds that are playing, like, a bunch of Squadron Hawks like, might have a chance against, like, the Flyers. Yeah. I tried that. It did not work out very right. well. I remember... Suffocating Fumes is a card. Ugh. Don't talk to me about that card. I don't want to. I don't want uh -huh. to talk about that card anymore. Yeah, but no, during the month of Boros, I've actually done two at this point. There are plenty of times, right, where, like, you're holding your Monarch card in your hand. Like, even whenever we were trying out, like, different, like, Mardu builds, right? Like, we're holding our own Thorn in our hand. And it's just, like, not only could our opponent draw a bunch of cards off of the Monarch, even worse, they're not drawing any cards off of the Monarch, and I just have this four mana card sitting in my hand that I couldn't cast on curve. 
There's no card advantage like the virtual card advantage of killing your opponent with a handful of cards. That being said, you know, while we're on the topic, like I said, I don't think we've ever discussed Monarch. How do you feel about it? Do you like it as a two-player mechanic? It is interesting as a two-player mechanic. It, it definitely takes a different resource for me. I'm still kind of adjusting to it. The last time I'd played Pauper more than, you know, a game or two here or there was, well, back when my old LGS was open, so math is a problem. It, at but, least three years ago at this point. Yeah. And Monarch was not heavily played here, so I had not run up against it very much. It was not a big part of what I was dealing with. After kind of going on that tangent about the Monarch, <laughs> we can kind of talk about the fourth point, which we touched on in the last three. I had written down, all you do when you play blue is stop your opponents from having fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you hate fun, play blue decks, right? <laughs> right. That's what the commander players say. Obviously, you know, another tongue-in-cheek joke. I keep feeling the need to say that just in case, you know, there's going to be that one person that takes that, like, super seriously. Surely to goodness, the people that might assume that would know us well enough to know we love blue decks. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. An right. unfortunate amount. <laughs> right. <laughs> to um, a fault. <laughs> right. There was a time in my Magic career where all I did was play uh, Just Guy Control. There is a brand established there for a reason. Something that is very powerful about these decks, and again, we touched on it mostly when we were talking about the Monarch, right, is how efficient the answers are out of these decks, right? Because either mono-blue, you're playing bounce spells and closing the game out, or blue-black or blue-red, you have the efficient removal spells of other colors backed by counter magic for anything that your removal spells can't deal with. <laughs> and then once you get the card advantage of the Monarch going... It can literally like put games that you're in, right? Like you're in a game three and like you're on the other side of the table. You have like two cards in hand. You draw your third card, you cast it, counter spell. So you cast another card, removal spell. Okay. Next turn you draw a land, you play it. Next turn you draw another card, you cast it, counter spell. Eventually the other deck floods out and you're playing all these cantrips, so you don't. One of the things I love about the blue decks, like, not only do you get access to a lot of interaction, a lot of different types of interaction that you can play with numbers, but what's really interesting about it is when you play a really diverse spread of, like, one and two ofs, and thanks to all these cantrips, you can find the ones you need. You can just have this weird, obscure out to game states that you just should not have access to in game ones. And moreover, you find your sideboard cards a lot more effectively because of that, too. The way blue deck sideboards are constructed, it used to, like, make me uncomfortable. And, like, I mean that in the kindest way possible. Like, when I first started playing uh, Popper, right, you would see a sideboard that was, like, four Hydroblast, four uh, Pyroblast. And it's like, oh, man, you're using eight sideboard slots on that. And then, like, everything else is, like, a one or a two of. And it's like, oh, yeah, well... Because our biggest problem, at least back in that time, is the mirror match. So uh, we're just going to have eight cards for that. And then because of our cantrips and how many cards we draw, we're going to be able to see our sideboard cards for all the other decks. Another good way I've heard that put was back when uh, Callblade was in Standard and Kibler was describing how they built the deck for a given event where they were worried about beating the mirror. And they said their sideboard was constructed to essentially treat their deck just it's a 75-card deck. We're just picking the best 60 every game. Yeah, and honestly, if you pull up some of the sideboards for these um, fairies decks, 
it's honestly just a lot of the same thing where you you might cut a main deck removal spell for a dispel. Like you might play in a null instead of a counter spell. You're it's not, the same role. You're not reinventing the yeah. wheel whenever you sideboard here. You're looking for more efficient ways to do the same thing, or you're trying to grab an effect you didn't have. That's usually about it. That's one of the things I honestly kind of love about Popper is outside of stuff like Graveyard and Artifact Hate, there's really not a lot of just massive blowout sideboard cards. Except I one time I forgot that this card was a thing, going back to the blue-green tempo infect sort of deal. Oh no. And my opponent's on boggles. And I'm like, oh man, like like it's just like a race. And then they play the flag bear, standard bear. And it's like, oh, oh no. Oh <laughs> it's no. Like, oh, I just can't win. Yay, my cards don't do anything now. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned my lesson that day. That is a tough lesson to learn. I really wish mine had shown up when I was playing Boros. I never found them. We were playing four of them in the board, and they just never did their job. Right. You needed some preordains. They they needed to raise their standards. The need for that button goes beep, beep, up. <laughs> Every ten minutes, I need that button. Oh, i got to get my numbers up. Brad's going to be disappointed. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's uh, kind of all the main points that we have. Just like an intro in the reasons that we hate blue decks are really the reasons to play blue decks. Um, did you have anything like uh, extra to throw in there at the end? Well, of course, there's always the assertion that people who play blue decks don't want friends, but we just have other people who play blue decks, right? I don't know about you. I don't need friends. They disappoint me. <laughs> My blue cards never do, though. You know, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Common Knowledge. If you wanted to get in touch with us, you can find me on Twitter at JustGuyDad. Adam, where can they find you? On Twitter at HomewardPathMTG. On uh, TikTok to get to know the man behind the mic, it's at HomewardPathGaming. Every once in a while, you can find me on Arena at HomewardPath. And then, you know, if you wanted to reach both of us, you can just shoot us an email over at CommonKnowledgeMTG at gmail.com. If you have any questions on the popper format, MTGO, or anything else, Again, you can just email us, reach out to us on Twitter, or leave a comment down below. Want to thank our sponsors once again, PureMPGO.com and GameGrid, as well as the Construct Criticism Network for letting us be a part of it. And last, but certainly not least, thank you for listening. Take very good care of each other, and never stop brewing. Take it easy. Everybody.